You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Brother Fred Betzold was born in Emmett, Idaho and grew up working on his family's apple farm. Brother Betzold joined the church at the age of 18 after several years of fellowship from his childhood friends. A year after joining the church, he again followed the example of his friends and was called to serve a two-year church mission in San Bernardino, California. Following his mission, he attended college at the University of Utah, graduating in 1995. While attending school, he married his beautiful wife, Amy. Brother Betzold has lived in Middleton, Idaho for the past 20 years. He has served in many capacities, including bishop and stake president. He works for Travere Therapeutics as an immunology specialist. When Brother Betzold has free time, he enjoys being in the great outdoors of Idaho with family and friends. Fred and Amy are the parents of three children and two grandchildren. Thank you. Okay. Wow. So this is, so what, what group is this? What, can I just ask that question real quick before we get started? Or? Okay, this is a class. Okay. And um, so you meet every Wednesday night. Okay. And there's institute credit that's on the line, right? So there'll be a quiz after this. Okay. Got a few more trickling in here. Good to have you all here. Thank you for coming. I am. Um, I have spoken up here at uh, Boise State probably I don't know five or six times over the years, and um, uh, President uh, Evans, as some of you may know, Elder Evans was. Uh, he and I were um, were bishops out in Middleton together, and then he became my stake president, and uh, he's worked here uh, off and on over the years, and uh, inside uh, his his time as mission president. But um, I. Um, I kind of got, I kind of got, uh, I guess what you might say, um, um, convinced that I should, I should do a fireside many years ago um, around my experiences um, as working in what's called the personal protection department of the of the church security department, and so that's the division in church security that protects the brethren. Um, and when I say brethren, I mean at least then. I mean we're talking 25 years ago now. So I've been I've been out of that for a long, long time. That profession. But uh, when I left there, we were protecting the first presidency of the church and um, the quorum of the twelve apostles. And I think that the department's expanded a lot since then. And so there are there's probably a lot more people. When I was there, there was around 14 of us that did that job. And so. Um, there was men that um, that protected just the the members of the of the first presidency, like they were with them all the time, and then some of us would just support them. And so, but what I wanted to do before I got into that, but that just to kind of um, just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of of why I think that people want to hear my my story of hope, um, and I and I have and I and I believe I have uh, one that uh, is very important, at least it has been for me. I am, as was mentioned in my bio, I um, I'm a convert to the church. Uh, is, is there any other converts here in this group? Couple, kinda, okay, yeah, so so. All right, we're all sort of a convert, right? 
yeah, we're 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 all we're all working on our our true conversion. Um, I I grew up outside of any religion in the little uh, town, as was said, in Emmett, Idaho. And um, around, I don't know, maybe when I was 16 or 17, I had several really good friends that were part of the sports teams there. Some I still keep in great contact with today. They, um, they kind of conspired against me for a long time and they started to invite me to things. And uh, most of the time it was just like some of the fun things, right? And then um, uh, dances and activities and mutual night and that kind of thing, which I was always excited to do. And, and I knew even then that there was something special right about uh, these people. They were something different than all the other people that I knew in my life. And my family were not particularly religious, in fact, not at all religious. And, and so I didn't have any basis for being a Christian in any way, shape, or form. And so it was all brand new to me, I guess you might say. And, um, and so, but uh, in, in my senior year of high school, um, they finally got up the courage to um, invite me to hear the missionary discussions. And I was just thinking about it um, because I think it happened like this year or this time of year, maybe like in 1987. So not long before all of you were, were even thought of and my senior year of high school. And, um, and I, I, I want to just tell you how grateful I am that those two missionaries decided to go on a mission. Right? I still remember them. Um, one was Elder Lamb, and he was from Michigan somewhere. And one was Elder Barrett, and he was from Colorado. And they were, one, was, one was just about to go home, and the other one was brand new. And there was a lot of pressure on me at that time in my life to not join the church, right? I from my family and friends and that kind of thing. And so I had almost decided, even though I'd felt the spirit and I knew it was right, to just kind of delay this for a while. And, um, and so, I didn't, so I didn't really have to suffer, you know, some of the pressures that were coming at me from family. But, and on the, on the, on the last night, the last, uh, what we called then in those days, the discussions, I told the missionaries that I would not be being baptized. And um, I could just see, I don't know if any of you have served missions, but you, you probably, if you did, you probably all had that at one point in, or another when you just felt your heart sink like, oh, we thought, we thought this was it. We thought you were going to do it. And, um, and one of the missionaries, Elder Lamb, the youngest, he just said, well, well what's, what, what, everything seemed like it was going so well. And I just said, you know, I just really have not f had a firm conviction that, that all of these um, nice stories that you told me were true about Joseph Smith. And I, and I really hadn't. That was, a truth. that was truth. Now, did I want to be a part of this? Yes, I did. But I hadn't had that like firm conviction. And Elder, Elder Lamb bore testimony, and he just said to me, um, well, have you prayed about it? <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget that question. Have you prayed about it? And, and, the, and the truth to it was is that I had not. And so, he, so together, he and Elder Barrett, they just asked, you know, before you make this big decision, will you go home and will you pray about it? And, and I remember that experience so well, going home and after they'd sort of taught me how to do this and kneel down and to just um, in humble prayer um, ask Father in Heaven if this was really true, if that thing really happened, if the boy Joseph went to that uh, grove of trees and uh, had that experience. And I, I, I tell you that story, um, it's kind of off topic, um, 
of why you're probably here tonight. But I tell you that story because um, I have uh, I got a real clear answer that night that that was true, and that all of the events of the restoration happened. And I have been all my life trying to recreate that, like have that again, like you know, to to kneel down and have that again, that that, that one amazing experience. And I have smaller versions of it, but I have to tell you that that question, that prayer, was so important that night that there was no question that Father in Heaven knew that He needed to answer it, and He did in a very emphatic way. Now it wasn't an angel that was in the room or anything like that, but it was obvious to me that. As the, as, the, uh, as the voice came into my head, it is true. It is all true. And so I had no choice, right, than uh, to, to go and do that. And in and, and, and the next meeting we had, I said, well, I prayed and now I know. And, um, and, and then everything's been um, quite a whirlwind since. Uh, just a year after that, I went and served a mission in the Southern California, and I had just an amazing experiences there where many people came into the waters of baptism. I, a couple years later, like a, maybe the month I got home from my mission, I went down to BYU and I was on the campus of BYU. And I ran across this, this young man that I, uh, I recognized very clearly as being one of the missionaries that taught me. And I stopped him and I said, Elder Barrett, do you remember me? Um, you taught me the gospel of Jesus Christ back in Emmett, Idaho. And, he looked up from his book, I think he was walking somewhere, and he just said, oh my, yes, I, I do remember you. And where have you been? What have you been doing? And I said, well, I just got back from a mission. <laughs> and um, back then, you know, before social media and email and all those things, cell phones, you'd lost track. You didn't talk to people. And so he had not known that, that his work was so, had, was so impactful on me. And and uh, he said to me, um, he said, how was it? And I just said, it was amazing. There was many people that, that um, um, became disciples of Jesus Christ because I decided to go. And he had tears in his eyes. And, um, and he just said, man, I, I, have been, I have been looking for an answer to prayer um, to, for the Father in Heaven to tell me that my mission meant something. And, um, and today was the answer to the prayer. And, uh, and so it's, uh, we don't always get to know the other end of the story, right? I guess that's, that's the, the moral of that story. But um, I'm so grateful for Elder Lamb and Elder Barrett that they decided to go and serve. If some of you are considering thinking about uh, serving a mission, um, I, 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 I can't, uh, can't give any more encouragement than, than that message that there's a good work for you to do. I um, I went. Uh, I came home from my mission. I, I got married rather quickly. Um, was married within like uh, six or seven months to the girl of my dreams, and we're still, you know, happily married today with a great family. But uh, we were in at the University of Utah trying to finish up our education, and it became very clear that I needed to get a full-time job, like a real job, <laughs> you know. And um, and so I knew someone. Who had um, who had an, a sort of a an in at um, at the church um, re, uh, human resources department and heard that they were hiring security guards to work the graveyard shift, which is perfect for me because I was going to school all day that day and I needed a job where that would fit work. And so, after quite a bit of interviewing and making sure that I was the right person, they hired me to be 
a, 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 a church security officer. And you probably, if you, any of you have been on church, um, the church grounds down in Salt Lake City, you've probably seen a few of the guys wandering around. And, um, and, I, and so I did that for a time. My job was to work in the temple and at night, making sure everything was buttoned up and locked and, you know, there wasn't any, like, um, you know, uh, problems with the facilities. And then I would work on Temple Square and then in uh, the church um, library and museum. And so I'd rotate around all night over an eight-hour shift and I'd get off and I'd go to sleep for a couple hours and I'd go to school all day. And then we just kind of rinse and repeat every day, right, the same thing. And... Um, so I was uh, I was getting getting close to getting the end of my uh, to my my diploma and a job came open in in, uh, in the department uh, and I, I didn't really know very much about it but it was uh, what's called a uh, personal protection officer and so it was it was more or less and I, I I use this term loosely but like a bodyguard for the brethren like the first presidency in the twelve and so. A lot of people wanted the job, and um, and so there was a big interview process, and somehow I ended up getting the job. At the time, most of the guys that were doing this job were like ex-police, FBI, um, you know, CIA type of guys, and and so. But the, the, the problem with that was that they were all old, <laughs> right? right? They were my age, and so they weren't as fit and maybe as, uh, as um, intimidating as they once were in their younger life. And so they had determined that they needed to bring some younger men in to, um, to, to sort of freshen up the, the, the core, I guess. And um, so that was me. And so I started there, and um, at the time I started, uh, uh, President Benson was the prophet, and so I'm really dating myself now, right? Long time ago. He's the one that signed my mission call. And then um, for a short period of time, President Hunter was the prophet. And you, these are all names that you remember, that you, but, you don't, but you, don't, you never probably heard them speak. And then President Hinckley was the prophet, and some of you, some of you do remember him. It wasn't that many years ago that he was the prophet of the church. And um, so I was there during that time of transition. Um, I, uh, I, 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 had a, um, I had a really, um, I, I guess, uh, what I would just say a wonderful um, experience there. And getting to know those men and women that were serving in the church at the highest levels. And coming to know them um, as people. Uh, with with um, with weaknesses and um, and you know imperfections that we all have. Sometimes I think we see them in uh, general conference or or, or in, in other places, and we think, oh, these people are living absolutely perfect lives, right? I mean, they and and you know they're pretty close. I'm going to say they're pretty close, but but they're people. You know, they they have opinions and they have moments where they're angry and and um, and funny and, um, you know, anxious, anxiety like all of us. And so I, that's one of the messages that I always like to make sure that I, that I, that I teach in, uh, in every opportunity that I get to do this fireside. And, you know, now that I'm serving as a stake president, I don't do it very much. It's very, it's, it used to be, I, I mean, I think I've done this message maybe over a hundred times to youth groups and things like that. And I don't do it very often anymore, only for my, my best friends, uh, Brother Knight, as he was our, in our seminary uh, uh, team out in Middleton, we got to know each other. And so when he reached out, I knew I probably owed him a favor or two. And so that's why I'm here tonight. 
and because I have a really strong obligation to tell you um, um, some things that happened there that were incredible. And, and um, I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, as we think about um, how, how we build our testimony, I would never want just something that I said tonight to be the basis for your testimony. Recently, you probably remember this, Elder Bednar said, if all you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ was other, what others have told you, you'll never know enough, right? I, I, I can't tell you how much I believe in that, in that, in that quote. And, um, and then he said that, um, you, we, that, that we cannot live on borrowed light. We have to earn it. We have to know for ourselves. And so any message that I give you tonight, um, you know, I'd encourage you to think about it and pray about it. Don't take my word for it, right? That, uh, and receive your own spirit of revelation, uh, whether or not some of these things I'm telling you, um, you know, feel right to you. But um, I, um, I've got a lot of funny stories about, uh, about working with the brethren. Um, they're, they're amazing, wonderful men. Um, uh, one of the things that I that I love to do, my desk was in a place where um, this is when President Hunter was the prophet. Um, I love to do was when uh, on Thursday morning, and that's the morning that all the brethren used to go up and meet in the fourth floor of the of the Salt Lake City Temple. That hasn't been done for a while since they're you know redoing the building. But back then they would meet, and um, President President Hinckley and Monson would stand in front of my desk, and. Um, and they'd talk to me, and we'd just talk like we're talking here. We're talking about two of the greatest leaders that the church has ever had. And, I did, and, I, and so I look back and I go, that really happened? I was really, you know, right there, and we were talking. And then they had this thing every morning where they would tell each other jokes that they heard that week. And, um, and so let me just tell you that um, they really were not very funny, very corny kind of, kind of jokes. But for them, because they knew each other's sense of humor, they knew how to tickle each other's funny bone. And so I would sit and listen to these corny jokes and uh, pretend like they were funny. But, um, but the wonderful thing about that was I got to see a different side of them that was just incredible um, to witness. And... Um, and to be to just to see that they're real people, and that's that's one of the messages that I wanted to share with you tonight. I um, I, I was with a lot of those men in 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 public settings and things like that, and people think ask the question, well, was there any ever any experiences that you had where, you know, like there was any threats to them or anything like that? And to be honest with you. Um, not substantial, right? There wasn't like anybody that, uh, it was mostly just people that wanted to be around them and touch them. And it gets overwhelming, right? If you're in like a big group of people. And so we'd have to try to protect them from that. And some people maybe had all, you know, bad motives. I don't know, but we just, our job was just to make sure that they didn't, you know, get too, too close and that they might injure them or trip them or whatever. And so, um, but one time, I had one experience where I felt like I really I made a difference. Um, and it wasn't in a way that maybe you would even think, but President Hunter, um, who was a prophet at the time, and he wasn't very mobile. And uh, he was older, and he was, his health was failing, and he was confined to one of those little kind of like, uh, those little buggy um, uh, wheelchairs that you drive and those things can be pretty fast right I mean they they go quick and he was in a hurry all the time I think he kind of knew that he was getting toward the end of his life um, 
uh, earthly life, and everything was always in a hurry. And, um, and so he would come buzzing in the back door of the, of the administration building every day, and he'd take this really sharp turn you know, to get onto his elevator, and he was always going just a little bit too fast for, like, your comfort, you know? And so I attacked my manager. I said, what should I do? I mean, I'm not supposed to, like, <laughs> direct the profit, like, I'm, you know, the way he's driving this thing. And he's like, yeah, don't do that. But just, just when you see him coming, just get up and go stand right there. And just maybe that, maybe just you being there will slow him down. And... Um, and that didn't really work. He just, it was more of just like dirty looks, like, what are you doing in my way kind of a thing, you know? And so, and so this went on for quite a while. And, um, and then um, one day, as I was standing there, he was in a really big hurry. And he turned the wheel just a little too sharply. And just as the machine was starting to, to turn over, I was there. And I just grabbed the like the like the the handlebars in his back and just like righted him back up on his on his wheels, and um, and he just looked at me with this really startled look like, oh, I'm just so grateful that you were there. And I and so after he sort of opened the door to that, I said, well, you know, maybe you should slow down a little bit when you're going <laughs> around around that corner. And uh, he said, yeah, you're right, I will. And um, and so he did from that time on. And so I love that. I love telling that story because um, I, I just tell everybody that I saved the life of the prophet. Um, I didn't take a bullet for him, but I helped him stay on his wheels. And um, which, you know, as frail as he was, it, it might have uh, it might have ended his life a little early. But so President Hunter, um, I, I, I was with him just for a short time, just a few months after that. I, he actually did succumb to. Um, uh, disease and um, and he and he passed away, and um, uh, one experience that I that I tell that uh, I just loved was uh, the day that he passed away. I actually was taking one of the brethren to uh, to the airport. I did a lot of that, a lot of ta- driving back and forth from the airport, and um, I got back to my desk, and there was a lot of commotion going on, and um, the. Uh, I I just after a minute I'm like well, what's going on around here and one of my one of my superior guys said well um, we've just told that uh, President Hunter has just passed away and um, so there was a lot of commotion there was a lot of things going on to sort of you know um, prepare for all the media attention and that kind of thing that was going to be on us around there because that's a big deal in Salt Lake City when the prophet passes away and um, and then I I had Elder Packer. Boyd K. Packer came down to my desk, and all of you know that name certainly. And um, and he he said to me, "Hey, will you call all of the offices of the twelve and and tell them to meet us down right here in this spot?" And so I quickly called all the offices. Said, "You know, President Packer wants everybody down right here." And almost everybody was there except for Elder Worthlin, who I had just dropped off at the airport. And so these are all names that you know, but you know, people that were there were like Elder Holland and Elder Eyring and Elder um, and uh, Elder Haight, David B. Haight, and and uh, Elder Maxwell, Elder Hales, um, just to name a few of the of the of the people that were there, and um, and he got them all there together, and it was really interesting. And I'm sort of a football fan, and so always had this analogy where. President Packer was in the middle of the huddle, and here was the other ten apostles around him, and he was sort of, you know, as leading them as the as sort of their quarterback or the leader of the uh, of the quorum, 
And um, it was, I, I remember hearing a lot of things that he told them, but mostly he just expressed a tremendous love for the prophet and his wife. And um, some of them had de- not heard yet that he'd passed away. And so there were lots of tears being shed. And then he just gave some really um, wonderful counsel. And then he gave some really um, direct uh, like assignments for them to go and do some things. And um, which I don't remember all of those that, that uh, were said, but um, and then they just sort of broke this huddle and everybody was gone off to take care of the business of of uh, the church. And um, and so at the time um, we all knew that the, the person with the most seniority uh, in the quorum was uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley, and so there wasn't really any question who was going to be the next prophet of the church. But in Salt Lake City, there's news and people, and, and, um, and so they started, you know, talking and um, doing what news people do, trying to make a story and saying that, well, is President Hinckley too old to, to, be, to, to take this, um, you know, um, high uh, office in the church, and will they choose someone else this time? And so it was really cra- a crazy time when we, even us security guys, we... They, the, the news media focused on us. They're trying to get interviews and all these wild things showing up at our houses and things like that. And um, and so we went through this process of a bur- of a burial of a funeral for a prophet, which was amazing. And and there, that there's a whole bunch of stories I could tell around that in itself. But um, but it but that all took place. And then um, the next Monday. I can't remember the days of the week how it lined up, but the next, I think the next day was Monday, President Hinckley came into, I was always the first one there in the administration building to open the doors and everything. He came into the office and he was always there by about six. I was there about 4.30, he was there about six. And um, I'd have everything ready to go and warmed up for him by then. And he was always the first, pretty much the first one in the office. But here, this day he was in just a little bit earlier. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is a pretty important day, right? I mean, we've just buried a prophet. Um, how does this all work when a, when a new prophet becomes the prophet? And, um, and so the next couple hours of my life, I found out what, how that worked. And uh, he just said to me, um, Freddie, they used to call me Freddie there. He said, Freddie, would you get me a golf cart? and to get it ready and I'm going to go up to my office I've got to do some things and I want to come down and then if you could give me a, dry, a lift over to the temple and so I just kind of lay that out for you and, and, and if any of you have ever been there before but um, the administration building at one of the levels is the same level as the, as the parking garage and there's these little golf paths that will take you all the way over to the temple underground and so you don't have to be out in the open and um, so we just park them there at the back door and when they need a ride over there we give them a ride and so he came down and he had a bag with some things in it and um, I didn't really pay attention that closely to what was in that but um, he he came down after about 15 minutes I was ready and I radioed and said hey I'm taking to the, the you know president or Hinkley to the temple and that caused all kinds of, you know, stir around the area. What's going on, and and what do we need to do? Because whenever the member of the first presidency moves around, a lot of people need to know where he is and what's going on, so we can make sure we provide the right security for him. And so we always wore those little earpieces in our ear, 
you know, and uh, they still do. And so all this sort of back talk is happening in the background. And I'm, you know, I, I can't really radio what is really happening because it's me and him in the golf cart. And, you know, he's having a conversation with me. And so we just talked and it was small talk and I just had a child and he wanted to know about the baby. And it was just like your grandpa sitting next to you talking, right? And so we went over, we went up to the elevators of the temple where I parked the parked the um, the cart, and um, we got on the elevator. and We went up to the fourth floor, and so um, we got off the elevator. And I just visualized this for a minute. Um, this you know this was the part of the temple that was built a long time ago, right? This is like the, where the some of the spires are at the end of the temple, where the angel Moroni is on the top. And there's just these big cement stairways that go up that you can walk up these spires. And in between them is this, is this big door with elevator and this big doorway. And this doorway leads into the area of the temple that's, that uh, is, is um, basically the meeting area of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Uh, this room is amazing that they meet in. It is, uh, if you could visualize it, it's a little smaller than this room. Um, but around it is these 12 big white chairs, right, and around this room. And they're all just um, right next to each other. So they make this big semicircle. And in the front of the room are these three white chairs that the First Presidency sits in. Over on the side is a little white desk where the secretary to the First Presidency sits and takes notes for the meetings. And he wanted to be in that room um, alone. Um, one of the one of the great things about being in that room, and I spend lots of nights in on the on the um, on the graveyard shift in there, just looking and seeing things, and just the history is just like so thick you can kind of like you know wipe it away, and of uh, knowing that so many of past apostles and prophets met in this room, just being there is just in itself a very spiritual experience. All the way around the room is all of the past portraits of all the prophets of the church. And later in his biography, President Hinckley talks about this, walking around and looking at each past prophet and having kind of this spiritual conversation with each one of them. And, and so I am, um, when we got, so kind of jumped ahead of myself, but when we got off the elevator and we opened those big doors up, he, he looked at me and he just said, well, this is where we're going to part ways for the day. And... Um, and so in my mind, I'm saying, well, yeah, whatever you want, but for the day, like you're going to be in here all day kind of thing. In my mind, I'm kind of wondering what is going to happen in here, knowing that um, the church doesn't know who the new prophet is or how that's happening. And so I closed the doors and I sat in this little folding chair there. And, um, and then um, my mind just started to wander about what was happening in this right behind this wall. And um, I can't go into great detail about this experience because it's one of those experiences that maybe some of you had had in life where just it's so sacred that you, you just feel like you shouldn't talk completely about it, right? And um, it's just for you. And, um, but I will tell you this, and this is, this is the reason that I continue to do, <laughs> trouble everybody with these firesides all these years. And that is that, um, I want you to know that I am, I am so certain that there's a prophet on the earth today. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet and every man who took that assignment 
and held that mantle was a prophet of God. And that in this room, that I felt some things, I saw some things, I heard some things that will make it um, undeniable for me uh, that, uh, that I know that President Hinckley somehow in some way, and I don't know what form, but that the Savior was there. And, um, and in, uh, whether it was in, in, his, with, in, in his true form as himself or in his spirit, I don't know, but I know that he was there. And that he himself called Gordon B. Hinckley to be the next prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There will never be anything that anybody could ever tell me that that didn't happen that day. And, and so if you, in some way or in some thought in your mind or thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I still really want to know, I really, really want to have that witness for myself that, that, um, that we have a prophet on the earth today that still receives revelation that the, the heavens are open to. I want you to know um, from someone who was very near that, that, um, that day when that was going on that, um, that we do. We have a prophet on the earth today. I was there for several hours and it felt like minutes. Um, within, a, in, I don't know, three or four hour time, his personal bodyguard, his name was Dave Sayer at the time, came there and he looked at me and I, I probably had that look on my face like, oh, you just won't believe what's just been going on here. And he said, and he asked me, what's what, what, what's been going on? What's happening? And I, and I just said, well, the prophet wanted to be here, and, um, and I've been here with him. And, um, well, what's happened? And I just said, I just, I, I, I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even tell him all the things. And uh, for the same reason that I've shared with you, that I, that I didn't feel that I could tell him all the details of what I'd seen and heard. And so he sat down, and I left. <laughs> and then later, a few weeks later, we talked about that. And he had a very similar experience that he f also felt like he could, not, he could not share all the details about that. And so the next day, President Hinckley called a press conference. And he, had shared, he then shared with the world that he had been called to be the next prophet. And um, in this wonderful little meeting that went out to, you know, millions of people, but, you know, only... Only those who are probably in the church really paid attention and, and, and knew the significance of it. So I, um, I want to share that with you tonight. I want you to know that I know there's a prophet on the earth today, and his name's um, Russell M. Nelson. And, um, and I love him. I knew him well then. And, uh, and uh, he, he was an apostle then and uh, got to know him really well and his wife at the time. She since passed away, and, and, um, and, um, but I have only wonderful memories of him. And that's, that, 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 all those stories are for a different time, but one I wanted to just finish with as we're running out of time. I know you probably got other things to do tonight that you'd like to, to, to do before the, the evening's up. But I, um, a, couple, a couple days later, um, every time that the prophet, and I, like I said, I'd been there for President Benson and then Hunter and now President Hinckley. Every time that the prophet walked in the back door of where my desk sat, of the 47 South Temple, that's where all their offices are, 
I would do what I was taught to do and what I felt good about doing, and that was to stand, right? Every time that, if you've ever been at the conference center and you see the prophet walking in, have you any ever been there when everybody stood up? It's like 20,000 people stand up. It's very awe-inspiring. And so I would do that with just he and I. He would walk in the room, we're just the two of us, and I'd stand up and I'd say good morning to him and he'd, and he'd come in. And, um, and then um, President Hinckley, you know, for all these years that I knew him, I, I wasn't standing. And when he'd come in, I would just stay seated. And then suddenly he's the prophet and I began to stand. And he kind of gave me a little bit of like the, like that kind of stink eye look, you know, in the morning, like, what are you doing kind of a thing? You know, I'm just, I'm the same guy I was four days ago. And so, but, but I didn't care. I was like, I liked doing, it. I enjoyed it. It was very powerful for me to stand up when he, when he, came, when he would come in. And so, um, he, he did this for about four or five days. And on the, on the final day, he, he stopped, which he never did because he always had an agenda full of things to do. And his day was busy. He stopped and he came up to me. So I was standing there and he put his arm around me and, um, great memory <laughs> of the prophet putting his arm around me. And he just looked up at me. He was, you know, I'm only six feet tall. He's, he at the time, you know, was in his 80s. And he was, he'd, he'd shrunken quite a bit, right? And when like 80-year-old men do. And um, he was small. He just kind of came up into my shoulder and he looked up at me and he said, are you standing for me? And I said, I think, I'm pretty sure I said yes. I stand every time the prophet comes in to the room. And I think, I think I even slipped and just said, and I, and, I, and I do it because I love you. And he just looked up at me and he said, Freddie, he said, I don't want you to stand up for me anymore. And he said something along these lines. He said, you know, the two of us, God loves us the same. We have different callings, but we have the same value to him. And... Um, he loves you just as much as he loves me. And I have to tell you that it was probably, I would say, the single most important thing that had ever been said to me at that time in my life. And for the prophet of the church to stop and tell me that Father in Heaven loved me as much as he loved him was so powerful. And, uh, and it's uh, and the last, really, the well, the second to the last part of my message that I have for you tonight is for you to know that. I think you all really need to know that. If you don't know it, and if there's something, that for some reason you haven't come to understand that you are his son, you are his daughter, that you belong to him, right? And he loves you. Then I encourage you this very night to go and find a place where you can ask him to tell you that he loves you. And I promise you that he will. And uh, so he left, smiling, and uh, he asked that we not stand for him anymore. And I relayed that to all my uh, security brethren, and, and we honored his w wishes while he was in the building. <laughs> and um, so a year or so after that, and this I'll finish on this, and then you can ask me a couple questions if you have anything, please. A year or so after that, I decided, uh, I actually say we decided, me and my wife decided that, um, that I would that I had other career aspirations that I wanted to pursue. And, um, and, and I actually left that job 
And I've had a lot of people tell me over the years, why would you leave that job? That had to be the best job. And there were so many wonderful things about it. And the people obviously were the best. But it was boring. I'll just be quite honest with you. It was very boring. I mean, you're, you're standing around waiting for something bad to happen all the time, right? Which didn't rarely did. And, and uh, there was a few times that uh, I'll, I've written down and, and I'll and maybe tell you at another, another time. But uh, nothing really bad ever happened. And, um, and we didn't want it to happen. But I just decided I wanted to do something a little more, <laughs> what I felt was a little more exciting in my, with my career. And so I've determined to leave. And um, did so, you know, very prayerfully. And, um, and, but the hardest part of leaving was, was saying goodbye to all those people. And on the very last day that I was there, I, uh, I would get there like at 4.30 and I would leave at 2.30. And so it was kind of a weird schedule. But um, I, knew, I, I had meant to that day, and this was very odd, and I'm not sure why it happened this way, but I meant that day as the prophet came in just to tell him goodbye. And... Um, in, in that quiet, private moment. But for one reason or another, that day he did not come in that morning. He went to another meeting that morning, and so I didn't get to see him. So as I was getting ready to leave in the building, and this would be the last time that I'd really have permission to be in that building, right, without some kind of invitation, um, I heard that he was in his office. And so I just um, quietly at the end of my schedule, my shift, I went up to his office. It's just one floor up from where my desk was. And I, and I went up to the elevator, or on, on the elevator to that floor. And just as I was getting off, there he stood. There was, the, there was President Hinckley. And he said, oh, oh, he said, I'm, I'm so glad that you're still here. I heard that this was your last day, and I was coming down to say goodbye to you. And um, that in itself made me very tenderhearted to know that the prophet knew that I was leaving. And, um, and I got off the elevator and I just, and I had a lot of tears in my eyes and he just said to me, well, why are you crying? And I just said, well, I'm just going to miss this place. I'm going to miss you. And, uh, and he didn't often do this, but he embraced me. He held, he hugged me and he just said, well, have you prayed about it? <laughs> I just love that. Right. Have you prayed about it? Just like elder, uh, lamb did all those years ago when I was, um, trying to decide whether the church was true or not. He asked me if I prayed about it, and I said, and I said I had, and I just said to him that we know it's the right thing. And he just looked at me, and he just said, Freddie, he said, then go and do it, right? Just go and do it. And that was the last thing he ever said to me. I got back on the elevator, and I went um, down, and I've never, I never got to see him again. I've never seen up close another prophet again. Um, Although I did spend quite a bit of time with Elder Stevenson this weekend, and uh, as men, my calling as a stake president, but um, haven't got to see the prophet again. And but I want to tell you that if the if he were here today, if the prophet uh, Gordon B. Hinckley were here today, I'm sure that he would tell you a very same thing. Right? You're early. You're young in your life. You're getting ready to go out and conquer, and um, and and I'm sure that he would tell you. You know, brothers and sisters, go and do it. And um, whatever you decide to do with your lives, yeah, um, you know, if it's a righteous desire to go and do it, and you're going to have one, a wonderful life as you stay on the covenant path and stay yoked to your Savior. And I just want you to know that, um, just to finish with my testimony, that, um, that God lives, that His Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior, that it is um, our 
um, uh, it's a great joy of mine, and I hope yours, to try to become an even better disciple of His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we are, as we get closer and closer to Him, um, we'll become um, even more truly converted to His gospel that will allow us to be in His presence one day and uh, to fulfill our destiny of being with our family for the eternities with Him. And um, I know we have a prophet on the earth today um, without any question in my mind. And, and I hope that you're tuned in to the sound of his voice um, when he speaks. Um, if you haven't been, go back and, and read and reread and listen and re-listen to his voice and the, and, and the things that he's telling you. Um, um, recently, he's told you to own your testimony, right? To really... Own your testimony. Um, own your testimony of the church, of the Book of Mormon, of the Restoration. Do the hard work that goes into owning your testimony. Um, it's going to be ever more important that each one of you learn if, to continue to learn how to hear His voice, right? To submit to His will. And um, so let's listen to Him. I promise you that there's great safety in that. And um, that uh, if you, as you do and stay yoked to the Savior, that you'll have a very happy and wonderful life. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, does anybody have any questions for me? Anything that uh, came to mind? We have, probably have a couple minutes, don't we, Brother Knight? Okay. All right. It's okay if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Near the beginning of your comments, you said you like to share the fact that these brethren that we kind of have up on a pedestal yeah. are, are people like us. They can get cranky. They can tell not funny jokes. Yeah. Why, why do you like to share that with uh, an audience like this? Okay, so the question was, is why do I like to share the, uh, uh, the fact that the, the brethren are just people like us, right? They're just, they, and, I, and I think it's really important that... Um, uh, that you know, um, just just to answer that question, that sometimes I think that we 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 get the impression that we just aren't enough, right? We're not good enough um, to be like them. Maybe even think that about your, you know, your elders' quorum president, your bishop, or your stake president. You're just like, man, I just I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be good enough. And um, and I think it's really important also as you look at um, as you think about church history and some of the imperfect uh, people that uh, helped us to re re restore the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, listen, we are all um, on a journey, and none of us are perfect. We make mistakes. Um, and um, I, think it's, I just think it's really important that the next time that you, that you, you know, settle into your couch to watch General Conference, that you know that these are real men, right? They've lived lives like us that are hard, They've had lots of trials and tribulations and challenges like we do. Uh, President uh, Nelson not very long ago talked about how, you know, you know, and this happened while he was there. He lost his first daughter to cancer. And then he, not too long ago, too many years ago, he lost a second daughter to cancer and, of course, lost, lost his, his, uh, his wife. And so he's experienced some of those things, right? I'm sure that he has felt, just as all of us have had times, like, you know, we've been abandoned. Um, that, the, that, uh, that some reason we've done something that, um, that has caused uh, the Lord to abandon us. So they're like us. And, um, and um, you know, my message to you is that you are good enough. And, um, and it's okay 
right? That's why, that's why the prophet has told us so frequently lately that we should be running to repent and um, to lay it at the feet of the Savior and he'll take it from us. Anybody else have anything? Okay, really good. Well, thank you for being here and being such a good audience tonight. And lots of uh, reassuring smiles uh, up here for me tonight, uh, knowing that you're paying attention and maybe something sunk into your heart a little bit. And I pray that it does as you, as you go forward. So thanks for being here.